This is Jerry Mason, the Kicking Lawyer, and I'm inviting everyone to join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. on the Kicking Lawyer fan page on Facebook for Law Talk Live, where we discuss business, politics, current events, and the law. If you miss the live version, you can watch the playback on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast platform. All right, Sherry Mace, the Kicking Lawyer. We're live for another Law Talk. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to speak with us. I'm excited about my guest today because we've got a, a lot of similar interest and history together. I do want to remind you, if you haven't already, like, follow, subscribe to our content. We're on all social media platforms. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, etc., cetera, uh, and ac- across podcast platforms also. So take a, che- uh, take a second to uh, subscribe and share that content. I do want to um, announce that we got our 100th episode coming up. It's going to be a big, spectacular thing. We're going to do some fundraising for some local charities. It'll be a lot of fun. As always, we want to thank Michelle Allen. She's a longtime sponsor of the podcast. She's with Cry Like Realtor. If you're looking to buy, sell, rent real estate, she would be excited to help you. And, of course, since 93, Mason's High Octane Martial Arts has been training kicking lawyers. So uh, you guys can come and try us out there at masonsmartialarts.com. We'd be glad to show you some kicking and punching. My guest today knows about kicking and punching, too. And, of course, the Cellar Restaurant is located here in Covington. A lot of stuff happening this week at the Cellar. Tonight's Tuesday. There's trivia there. Uh, Friday, there's live music. And then Saturday, we start our first comedy uh, program. So there'll be Mo Alexander. He's been on Comedy Central, and he will be uh, live at the Cellar this Saturday. And, of course, Josh will help you at Masonite Digital Marketing if you want to increase your online brand presence. be glad to help you out. So, um, and so Anthony Manus is my guest today, and Anthony is kickboxing world champion, longtime martial artist, MMA coach, MMA judge, you name it, he's been involved in the martial arts. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, first of all, you left out the fact that I would clean the locker rooms, too. After <laughs> yeah, well, put I'd... up the cage, you know. Was... Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. important part. you got to yeah, do that, too. Yeah. yeah well, well, how you been? Uh, busy. Good. Yeah, I can t- I, you and I have known each other for a while. I haven't seen you as regular as I'd like, but I keep up with you on Facebook. You're at all the big MMA events, Ju- yeah. judging mostly, right? That's what you're doing now? Yeah. You, you know, uh, my wife passed away last October. Oh, I didn't cancer. know that, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. Cancer. And, and, you know, I reached out to these athletic commissions, uh, different organizations, and, you know, said that I'm be more available – and um, just need something to kind of pacify my time. Well, they took me. <laughs> they took me to Serious, heart. Yeah. And they have really used me a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, a UFC coming up September the seventeenth and one October the first uh, in Vegas. And uh, Vegas has become my home away from home. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's exciting and uh, it keeps me involved in something much like yourself it's a passion it's mm-hmm. it's a love that we've had or I, I know i certainly have had since i was 12 of mm-hmm. combat sports and it gives me a way to stay relevant with the sport mm-hmm. yeah well and i know some of the roots of how you got into that but i'm sure people watching would be interested to hear like as a judge which is a real important role nowadays i mean it can be good or bad you know you can get flack sometimes for decisions and and the other way but 
Like, how does how does the process right now work? So they call you and they say, hey, we got a show. Uh, are you available? Do they fly you in? And then you're there for X amount of time. Like, what's it look like? What does a fight week look like for you? Yeah, you pretty much summed it up perfectly. Uh, uh, you get a lot of notice because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're I'm still the state director for the ISK in Tennessee, mm -hmm. which I oversee. Uh, the combat sports amateur level mm -hmm. and so they have to work around that schedule um, they reach out to me and say look we got this event coming up are you available to work that weekend uh, fight week is I have my normal week and I usually fly out like on a Thursday mm -hmm. and just chill out till fight time Saturday afternoon so as a judge I guess because you're you're there mostly for these other athletic commissions as a judge so you're not there as an official during the weigh-ins or any of that stuff. It's just you got to be there ringside for the fights. Is that pretty much your responsibility? Yeah, th that is the absolute responsibility. Obviously, I could go to those weigh-ins, mm -hmm. but I, I, I choose not to. It, it's sort of funny. A lot of people think that I watch all the fights. Yeah. That, but really, I, I, I don't. Mm -hmm. um, you do something so much that you almost feel look for any kind of release away from it yeah such a violent uh sport and mm -hmm. you know i i just rather take pictures of wildlife and things like that yeah so. yeah and i noticed you've been doing that and music yeah and music yeah, yeah yeah we'll talk about that some more later too um so but help me through because it's obviously interesting to me too because you've done this on a whole nother level than what we had initially started on at this pro level especially with the ufc's and stuff when you're at the fight and you're judging uh, obviously, there's criteria that you're judging it by, but what kind of stands out in your head when you're watching a fight? And this is assuming one goes to decision. Like, what's the in, your criteria to you that's most important? Is it control, ring control? Is it aggression? Is it damage dealt? Is it takedowns? You know, what what kind of stands out to you? You know, all of the above. Mm -hmm. uh, you're looking for dominance, duration, and damage. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there's a lot goes into that. Uh, big. Um, specific techniques the the flow the ebb of the fight um, one of the hardest things to do and, and this is going to sound strange is having the discipline to stay focused to where you do not let your mind wander at all because you have to pick up every single detail yeah sometimes in a close fight you're talking about a punch, a takedown, mm -hmm. the uh, effectiveness of uh, of a simple submission, uh, even though if, if you don't get it, how close were you to getting? Uh, you know, it, it. hopefully those fights, those are the kind that really make you lose sleep at night, that mm -hmm. you question yourself. Uh, but at that level, you get a lot of very close rounds mm -hmm. that um, – it takes total concentration that you do not miss one single thing. Um, we are fortunate enough to have the little monitors that as the action is all over the cage, you sometimes you can't really see as well as you'd like. Mm -hmm. And then we have that monitor there in those situations that we can refer to. But I prefer to look at the fight itself. Do you score the round round by round like yes. we used to do with the amateur ones? So you'll yes. you'll make a decision on what the score is going to be. 
I guess, do y'all turn it in and then it goes yes. to the next round? The athletic commission collects the the cards after each okay. round. Okay, so it's like we used to do too. Yeah, I I like to. Is it, it's it's all ten eight or ten ten nine ten eight uh, scoring right? Ten yes. point scoring. Yeah, yeah. The the ten eight round that's a uh, area of controversy right now because uh-huh. a lot of fans don't understand that. Yeah. And even a lot of people that's very involved in the sport mm-hmm. uh, struggle with it. Um, I do score 10-8 rounds, obviously, um, but I use them very sparingly. Yeah, You have to certainly meet the criteria to get a 10-8 round uh, because, you know, I like to use scenarios. Like, let's say you and I have a three-round fight. Mm-hmm. You clearly dominate round one, 10-9. Mm-hmm. Well, you clearly dominate round two, ten, nine. Now, here, here we are two rounds into a three-round fight that you are clearly winning. Mm-hmm. But I get an early takedown in round three. I stay in a dominant position for most of the round. And right at the end of the round, I get one good elbow in that, you know, you got a trickle of blood from your nose. Dominance duration and damage so I might get Mm 10-8 so now we're looking at the end of a fight that I only won the last round the fans are thinking well Jerry clearly won that fight Mm -hmm. but now they say it's a draw because it is yeah and that's an area of a lot of controversy yeah yeah, well, I think that's part of why fans, man, because judging is difficult on that level that, that that you're doing it at because you get blamed a lot, I think. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. One way or the other, you know. So, I, I mean, you at this point have done some pretty big fights. What would you say is your most memorable one you've judged? Well, the the most memorable one involved two fighters that, for the life of me, I can't tell you their names right now. Really? Uh, but I can tell you it was a Russian fighter uh, uh-huh. versus an American fighter. Uh-huh. And the American fighter, he, he clearly won all three rounds. Uh, it was unanimous. All three judges gave it, you know, 30-27 for the winner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we go after we have this break, and I go to this rest area, and, and I look at my phone, and I've got like 30-something messages on Instagram. I'm like, wow. And they're all in Russian. So I start hitting translate, and you don't want to know what they were saying. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, my God, that was a very clear-cut uh, decision. It wasn't controversial at all, but they were saying horrible things about me. And But this is going to end with a funny note. Like a week later... I get up one morning, and in the middle of the night, I got a comment from Russia. I was like, here we go again. So I hit translate, and it said, you good judge, I like. (laughs) And I was kidding. I said, I've got a fan base. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) One guy. It's a fan base rolling in Russia, but... What fight card was that? Was it UFC, or was it Yeah, it was UFC. Yeah. Huh. Uh... Yeah, because I've noticed, I've seen you, because you and I start, the way I got to know you was at HUFC when mm-hmm. we were doing the High Octane Fighting Championship. And I don't know if you know, the way that developed, Jeff Mullen 
was doing uh, like smoker fights at the New Daisy on Bill Street. Oh, yeah. And it was like the only place in the area back then to go amateur fight or any kind of fight. So a lot of us would take fighters or go ourselves. I had fought on the card myself back then as an amateur. And you would uh, uh, you show up, whoever was there, maybe you fight, no notice, no prep. They could be smoking a cigarette, get in there and... It just was what it was, and I was bringing a lot of folks back then, as I always had a, locally a, a decent following, kind of like you did in Jackson. And anyway, I had the idea that, you know, well, I'll tell you, I don't know if I even told you this, I got sandbagged, one of my, my, my students did, in a fight by a certain guy we know whose initials are MB uh, out of a certain area in Arkansas at the time. And uh, he had a guy who, man, this guy was a beast. And I think he put he had no fights. And come to find out the guy had fight like 10 fights. So there was no way to regulate it then. You know, it, was, no. wasn't, it wasn't legal or regulated in the state. No ISKA, no, nobody, no regulation. And so it was just free-for-all. Anyway, and I was like, man, if we could come up with an organization that was sort of semi-pro where these guys got treated right, they at least knew who they were fighting, you know, we'd take care of them. And then I had the website, if you remember, where people got ranked on it. Uh, and they even got points if they oh, fought. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I had all these ideas. And then I developed the complete combat program where I would go teach these karate schools because I didn't have enough fighters to do these shows all the time. I was teaching these karate schools how to do an MMA program in like six months. Anyway, fast forward. So then it got pretty prominent. And the, there, there are mistakes I know I made along the way in not protecting that intellectual property. Uh, but, but anyway, long story short, that's where I met you because I was telling Josh earlier that you still to this day, it was the most attendance we had at a fight was your championship fight. Yes. When you came in, you sold the most tickets. You were a huge draw. Well, well, Jerry, I, you know, I'm I'm going to have to take your word for it. I, I can't really remember that fight very well. <laughs> uh, but, you know. It, he's got the belt. You know, it, it's just. He doesn't remember the fight, but he's got the belt. You know, I, I try not to live in the past, Jerry. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. dwell on, you know, accomplishments uh, like that. But, yeah. yeah, oh, I remember that well. Yeah. Uh, and the fact of the matter, you know, I remember your shows because they were the first shows that incorporated professionalism uh, to where there was structure. Mm -hmm. it, it, it reminded me of a lot, because I had been fighting for, like, the IKBA, mm -hmm. um, world organizations that I was used to rankings, I was used to the better guys fought the better guys. You And your show did that. I'm like, well, this is very different than what I'm used to because yeah. you described it perfectly. I mean, the coaches would show up. We would all have a handful of fighters, and we would decide mm -hmm. who fought who. And the fighters, they didn't even know who they were going to fight. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's kind of tough. That's asking a lot, you mm -hmm. know, even at an amateur level. Uh, you know, my guys, you know, they didn't care. They just wanted to fight, and mm -hmm. yours did too. But that's not the point. Mm -hmm. There, You brought uh, structure to it, and I always – I loved your shows. Well, I appreciate yeah. it. And I loved having you guys. And yeah. all your guys were respectful. You know, that was an issue in the beginning. You had some guys that you could tell had sort of a martial arts background and some that were more of a fighter background, and you could kind of tell the difference. Oh, absolutely. Uh, by how they carried themselves. But, yeah, you had a lot of good guys, man. You had Jason Wood – and uh, what was the guy that was really a box? He kicked really a kickboxer, but he's more of a boxer that was so quick. What was that guy's name? Well, he won Justin the title. Jinx. Uh, was it Justin Jinx? Had yeah, because he was man. That, he was, that was so Justin smooth. Justin Jinx with the boxing. Um, and then there was there was three or four others that you Cody had. Moore. Yeah, Teddy Holder, um, Lane Lockhart. Uh, had, had several really really good fighters at yeah, the time. Yeah, 
Yeah, because it was a strike four. Strike team. Strike team. Strike team. I was trying to remember the other day because we had like Havoc and there was a bunch of them that come up, uh, all those teams. And then, you know, I lost – I don't know if you realize this, but I, lo- I loved doing the fights. Put them on, had a fight team. I was big in it. I was trying to do it myself. Did a couple fights myself, and it was a, a big deal. But then what I didn't do well – of course, I wasn't a lawyer at the time, mm-hmm. and I had a great business model, but I didn't do anything to protect that business model from replication. And so then all of a sudden, you had some of these other shows popping up that were in bigger markets. So then now they didn't have to come to our show in Covington, a small town, to to fight and have a decent show. They just copied the market in copied the model in a new market, and then it got to where because at the the time those shows you're really only making money on ticket sales. And so it got to where people didn't need to come watch them locally, and it just got to where it wasn't cost-effective for me to do them anymore. Right. Uh, You know, history, you know, you look at it at the time, things don't seem that important. Uh, But I'll look back on it, you know, when we're talking about the team. Mm -hmm. uh, I I, I tell this story all the time. We were – the guys were, like, working on the mats on the ground game, and this kid walks in, and he's standing there at the door. Uh, so I walk over there and asked him, I said, do you, do you want to roll with the guys? And he's real quiet, mild-mannered. He said, no, I just want to watch. I said, okay. So it got time. We gloved up, and everybody started sparring. And I could tell he was – you know, that kind of perked him up. And he said, can I spar with you guys? I said, well, you can spar with me because these guys are beast. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me see, you know, where you're at. So I'm sparring with the kid, and he's really strong, uh, very aggressive, and handled himself well. And I said, okay, you're good. So I told Jason him, I said, yeah, he's, he's good to go. That was the first time I met Mike Perry. Oh, really? Yeah. So he started with us, and, and a lot of people don't know that. And so we took him to uh, Clarksville to some local fights and mm-hmm. he just dominated then I think he moved away and well the rest is history mm-hmm. uh, he's, and he's doing really well now in bare knuckle boxing mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you knew that he, yeah uh, he, when he left the UFC now he's bare knuckle boxing mm-hmm. and another teammate uh, that I had uh, Bobby Taylor mm-hmm. uh, he's in bare knuckle boxing now mm-hmm. I do re- I remember him and He's doing really well. Yeah. So. Well, a lot of those guys in those early days, I mean, Jacob Noe came up through yes. the HOFC. There were several guys that ended up going pro that were out of those early days that we did in uh, MMA, which I remember back then. I don't know if you remember this. It, I didn't want to get in trouble because they were trying to say MMA was illegal, so I called it complete combat in the beginning. Yes. And I didn't let them strike on the ground, and I tried to say it was a different sport than MMA just because we were just trying to get around whatever. And then, of course, we got we went. You were involved heavily in getting mm-hmm. it legalized. Where you had the ISKA, and uh, I don't even remember the other one. I was technically the rep for it. I don't even remember the name of the organization now. But uh, uh, once it got legalized and regulated, the regulations cost added up to where it was not cost effective anymore for me. So it was good, but it was a lot of fun in that time being involved in that and it being so. You know, it was almost like you were doing something. Um, like something the wild wild west yeah not something illegal yeah. but something fringe Outlaw. and new and and it, you could you could feel you were on the precipice because ufc wasn't like it was now you know yeah. you know one of my most popular swags the uh-huh. t-shirt um i had been kickboxing for a while and uh, one sunday afternoon i get a phone call from a sports writer at the uh, jackson sun 
And he goes, well, what do you think about last night? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, at the end of the professional wrestling card at the Omen Arena, Eddie Gilbert called you out. I said, for what? And he said, he wants to fight you in a real fight. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I had the same response. I'm like, okay, pro wrestling, you know, okay, mm -hmm. there's, I, I'll find out what the gimmick is. And, yeah. Well, Eddie reached out to me, and he wasn't kidding. He said, no, Eddie had been wrestling in Japan, and the thing going over there was this uh, uh, pancreas and things like this where different um, styles, skills were mm -hmm. fighting each other. And, and Eddie had a good, true American wrestling background, so I said, so you really want, he goes, yeah. He said, let's just see how it goes. So I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. But I, I wasn't really thinking seriously about doing it. But the more I got to watching it, pride and the mm -hmm. UFC hadn't even been, had, had not even started yet. So I was like, you know, that is kind of intriguing. I would do that. Mm -hmm. So they set up a match with me and Jamie Dundee mm -hmm. uh, to just more or less see how it would look. And, you know, I, I was practicing against stuffing takedowns and things like that. And, but Jamie just, you know, he stood with me and he clowned and it was sort of a jokey, you know, mm -hmm. like, kind of like I thought it would be until I really nailed him with a spinning back fist and he quit. Mm -hmm. So... I didn't have any, that's the last I thought I would ever think about that. But years later, he was doing a talk show in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he was putting down the UFC, and he said, I was doing that before the UFC even, and they go, oh, really now? And then he brought up that match. Hmm. Was it a real MMA? I, I don't know. It, by today's standards, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But it was two different disciplines, you know, fighting. And mm -hmm. so this, that inspired this T-shirt, which has got this cool saying on the back. Mm -hmm. Let's <laughs> he see, was he was doing this when it wasn't, wasn't cool. cool. <laughs> Surf work. To say it wasn't cool is an understatement mm -hmm. because there was no money in it. Yeah. And a lot like you said, it was, it was basically illegal. It, it wasn't a boxing match. It wasn't a kickboxing match. But... It was sanctioned by the NWA, which he was fighting under that pro mm -hmm. wrestling banner, and the IKBA ended up sanctioning it hmm. as a kickboxing match, even though it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So it, that's a little footnote. That was two years before the UFC was even even created. So we used like 91, 90, 91, something like that? Yeah, I think the UFC came out in 92. 93, yeah. And uh, this was like in 1990. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so give me give me a little background on that because you and I have talked about it some in the past, but I don't know the specifics. When you got into martial arts, who you trained with, and then as you grew into doing the kickboxing. Yeah, well, my first love was boxing. Mm -hmm. uh, when people talk about my idols, you know, you're talking Larry Holmes, mm -hmm. uh, Muhammad Ali, those guys. So I wanted to box, and so I started boxing amateur. I, I I had 13 amateur boxing, uh, 112, and um, 
we had Rayford Collins had the Golden Glove tournaments in the winter at the West Tennessee, then the Mid South. Well, I miss that. And a good friend of mine named David Rhodes, he said, "Have you ever thought about taking karate?" And I go, "Well, yeah. I've also I love the Bruce Lee movies, and like every other teenager at the time, I said, yeah, I'd like to do that." So I started studying Wadoru. It's a, a Japanese hardstyle karate mm-hmm. under Mr. James Zimmerman. And he, his son-in-law, Ronnie Tiller, was a professional kickboxer. Uh, and so after the, as, as I got better, uh, after the, we would spar. And quite honestly, he would beat the stew out of me because he was a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And I was weighing like 145. But he was not only bigger than me, he was a lot better fighter than me. Mm-hmm. But I liked it, and I never looked back. Um, I started fighting amateur kickboxing. I had 50 amateur kickboxing. I was 45 and 5, 38 KOs. And then I turned pro and had uh, 16 pro kickboxing and one pro MMA. Mm-hmm. So, When was your, your pro matches? In the 80s, right? When was, when was your last match? Oh, that would have been... The last kickboxing well, time I well, was at your not, show. Well, yeah. yeah that, well, that's right. I meant before that because you technically retired oh, gosh, and came yeah. out of retirement at ours. Uh, I'd have to look back at the. God, I had. Well, I was trying my, to figure out your time frame because you're younger than you know. I, I, uh, there may be some guys that you had fought with that, uh, like, you know, you got different eras in kickboxing, and you got like uh, Joe Lewis era. You got you that know, was Chuck, before Chuck me. Norris is around in there. Bill Superfoot Wallace, all those guys in the seventies, yeah. I think. I fought Bill Superfoot Wallace in nineteen eighty five uh, in a, an exhibition fight. Uh huh. The guys that was really ruling at the time when I was fighting was Anthony Elmore. Okay, yeah. Uh, the Anthony heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, Tony Rosser. Uh, Tony Dick, Rosser cornered me in a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super great guy. Great fighter, too. Um, Dennis uh, Roberts. Um, uh, Mad Dog Downing. Uh, you had all those guys at the time was just. Uh, so Bill Superfoot Wallace has always been an idol of mine. Because when I spar and fight, it's very similar to his style. I'm He's left-legged, I'm right-legged. Mm-hmm. But our kicking's very similar, hook kick, round kicks, and stuff like that. Um, so how was that match? I know it's exhibition, but how was that? Well, you, you know, Bill and I both, we wanted to hold no – I mean, we both agreed, let's just make this a fight, mm-hmm. and it goes how it goes. And a lot of people ask me about what's his kicking game. You know, I don't really remember – very little about his kicks. What I will never forget is his left hook. Yeah. He had the most sizzling left hook, and he just basically took me apart with it. Hmm. Um, and It's funny you say that because I've heard him talk about that. Yeah. He uses the kicks often to set up. His left hook is what he thinks is one of his strongest techniques. Oh, gosh, yeah. Not only does he think that, uh, he sparred Thomas Hearns mm-hmm. uh, in a – famous sparring session that Thomas Hearns said is one of the best left hooks he's ever seen. Yeah. Marvin Johnson, who was the reigning light heavyweight champion of the world, went on record as saying Bill Superfoot Wallace has the best left hook he's ever seen. Hmm. Uh, gosh, he broke my jaw. <laughs> oh, really? In the exhibition match? Oh, gosh, yeah. He broke my jaw. He, he, he closed my uh, left eye. I mean, he, he, he was... I, I'll never forget that left hook. Mm-hmm. Well, still, though, man, that's 
pretty impressive that you were in the ring with him with a lot of those guys, you know. And I think I think even when we were doing it, you know, my generation that came through there was looking at MMA and stuff, and I think a lot of them – I didn't. I had always respected people were from – because of my martial arts background. But a lot of those guys, I think, underestimated the skill that guys like you and guys in your era and even before then – had in fight IQ that was, and it was also laying the foundation for what you're doing, what you're even judging today, you know, so you definitely owed a debt of gratitude from those folks. And that's why I had mentioned to you before, and I think I talked to you and Jeff about it, about doing, I wanted to write a book, and I know there's one somebody you just mentioned had come out with that had something to do with Mm -hmm. West Tennessee, but I wanted to focus more on like through the 60s and 70s, how we were a hotbed with Kang Ree and uh, you got the Pasaru that developed, the karate systems, the Jeff Mullen, you, all these guys in that era that were like traditional martial artists that came up. Uh, and I think the book you were talking about, what was the name of it? Legends of MMA. Yeah. Tennessee Legends of MMA. Yeah. And written I think, by Alan Searcy. I think his is more focused on like 90s up, 2000s. And I was really going to focus more on like 70s, 80s martial mm-hmm. arts that developed into what we have today. Gosh, you know, and... Tennessee, especially the Memphis, this mm-hmm. area here, it was unbelievable the great fighters that came out of this area. A lot of people don't know. Uh, I actually got to hang out with him last Saturday night. Quentin Rampage Jackson. Yeah, yeah. He's from Memphis. You yeah. know, he, he started out with Jeff and him. Mm-hmm. And sure did. I fought on the same card with him at the New Daisy because I made fun of him. Now, he was a different weight division than yeah. me. You know, I wasn't fighting him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he come out wearing the chain – back then as an mm-hmm. amateur and we were making fun of him you know we were like who's this guy got a dog chain on yeah and howling the whole deal and uh of course they see smashed whoever he was up against uh, but but yeah yeah it's funny that he's from memphis yeah you know, he's a memphis guy uh, and he took it to high levels too but i mean even aside from him man if you, if you think about think about back in the 80s is you had uh, I, I bring up Kang Ree because I had done Pasaru as a kid, but you got good guys that do Gojuru, Okinawa Gojuru, high level around here. You got Harry Dock that did mm-hmm. with Dock Imports that was big on the sword stuff, Yaido and stuff. You got the karate guys, the kickboxers, uh, Tony Ross or you, Jeff Mullen. I mean, uh, and then now you got um, um, oh, I, I, I shouldn't forget his name, Chad, Chad yeah. Chilcutt, David Ferguson, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys that were '90s uh, working their way up. Would have been big dogs in MMA today if they were just a different generation, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's definitely a hotbed. Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes the stars just line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to explain, but I, I think it goes back to something you said earlier. The roots were so strong. There were so many strong traditional martial arts schools, trainers, that the these young guys, young at the time, mm-hmm just sprung from those schools mm-hmm. and uh, they always had the athleticism but now they were given skill sets and that just shows you how well those skill sets were that they were able to not only compete yet in many cases dominate mm-hmm. on an international level yeah you know so it speaks very highly of the of the guys that we had um, paving the way before even before me yeah yeah, I agree. So just to shift a little bit here, by the way, I know Josh told you we don't really have time limits, but I knew that you and I get to talking and we probably go forever. Uh, I used to try to keep it around an hour because uh, when we post this stuff, I think it helps our algorithm. But I do want to talk about your – you do music now, right? Yes. I know you've always probably done it, but I know yes. that's something that's become more prominent. Yeah, you know, my oldest memories, uh, there's always been guitars 
laying around the house. I have very musical family. That's why the lady back there, I was playing your guitar and your oh, lounge. You? Okay. Yeah. 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 And I just, um, it was second nature to me. Um, so I started writing songs and I was at a songwriter's workshop in uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And I'd played a song and Johnny Sandlin, who is famous for producing like the Almond Brothers, um, Wet Willie, all those Southern rock. He was, matter of fact, I think he's called the grandfather of Southern rock. He, he, he listened to that song and he, and he said, you wrote that? And I said, yeah. He said, I want to talk to you after this is over with. And um, so he said, play me something else. And I played him a song called Keep Your Heart in the Country. And he said, I want to record that. And so that was my first song I ever recorded and first single. And it's probably the best known song I, I did. Yeah, I didn't know you did that. When was that? Oh, that was in very early 80s. Yeah, see, I, I was always used you the martial arts guy. I didn't realize you'd had the music connections. Well, those two just kind of blended together. Mm -hmm. I would like, uh, okay, which hat am I wearing today? Uh, my fighter hat or my music hat? Mm -hmm. And I never, I said they blend together. The effort blended together, but not the entity. Mm -hmm. If I'm playing music, I'm not about fighting. Mm -hmm. And if I'm fighting, I'm not, I'm not about music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to use this to shamelessly plug. No, it's no shameless. I was going to ask you, know, you where they could find your stuff. This, this is my album, my latest album, Soul Survivor, and mm -hmm. Keep Your Heart in the Country does appear on that. You can have that. By oh, the way. well, I appreciate it. And you can find that. Uh, that can be downloaded on, uh, well, any, you can find it everywhere. So speaking of that, here was my next question, and, and I don't want to undervalue what you do. We, uh, my restaurant, we do live music every Friday, and I actually handle all the scheduling. Okay. So if you're ever interested, we'd love to have you come and perform. And uh, uh, we have a – it's a small setup. It's really not room for a band. It's really usually a person and their guitar, and they just perform in the evening if they want to. If there's something they're ever interested you, you're welcome to gig there. Yeah, yeah you know, it's funny. Uh, of course, I have played the big shows like that with a full band, but I actually prefer uh, those intimate acoustic settings um, – they're just more, I don't know, they're more fun. Mm -hmm. The more I, I can interact with the with the crowd, more it's... Uh... Well, you know, I had, we had a guy, um, oh, I feel bad now if I can't remember his name. He was Conway Twitty's drummer and then got into management and is still active in country music, managing uh, like Hank Williams' grandkid and I think it was Loretta Lynn's granddaughter was with him. He came by when we had uh, another local guy that's known in the area playing, and uh, super. He ended up getting up there and playing some stuff too. Very talented guy, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I got to talking to him because my son, the one who was briefly in here, it took out. It's working for us here as a law clerk. He sings, and he just did an album, and he's very talented. But one of the things that he recommended that I don't think my son's doing enough, and I think people undervalue, is doing the small gigs. He was asked. That's what he asked. He said, well, "How much? How often is he gigging?" And I'm like, well, not as often as he should. And he said, because he's always waiting to see, well, what are they going to pay? What are they going to do this and that? And and he was his point was a lot of it's the experience, and you get feedback from the people, and Absolutely. It gets, it's more it's more on those intimate settings. What he said is where you really start to mold what kind of artist you are. In other words, he was saying that it's invaluable that you do get that experience. Yeah, you, you know, I tell every young artist, you need to understand something. Not every song you write is good. Sometimes you suck. Yeah. 
And you need to understand that when somebody tells you that, you don't need to take it personal. You just need to understand, are you playing for people or are you not? Mm -hmm. If you want to entertain yourself, just play at home in your living room. Yeah. But if you're going to actually take your guitar, your piano, whatever, and you say, okay, I want to entertain others, well, then the opinion of others really matter. Yeah. And if, if sometimes it gives me a chance to play a song and in crickets, and I go, okay, that sucked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> take that off the your playlist. Yeah. You know, don't do that again. That, that's a very good observation because what he struggles, and I shouldn't talk bad about him. I'm not talking bad about him to get mad. He's very, very talented, but he has a specific style that he likes to play, and it's almost like a jazzy, blue, old soul type singing, right? And he's got these original songs he did that are great, but what I think he misses is, like, some of the guys that really kill at our restaurant, they'll play crowd favorites. You know, they'll play something people know the words, they're singing with them, the tips go up. You know, um, you're right. There's mm -hmm. something about playing to the crowd versus to yourself. And uh, he's he's still young, and he gets frustrated because he really gets into the nuances of musical performance. And, like, there are things that he'll hear in music and say, like trying to educate me, uh, which is true because he knows way more about it than I do, about how this was difficult that this guy did, and I didn't even catch it. You know, it wasn't, right. it wasn't anything to me because I'm not a musician. So I think that's a good observation you have. I think that's important that people need to – it's just like anything else, you know, fighting. you got to get experience. Right. You know? And if you don't get out there and try enough, you're going to fall down a few times. But, but you know, in, in his defense, um, of all the things musically that, that stands out in my mind is memories – I played the Wild Horse Saloon uh, in downtown Nashville. And when I did Keep Your Heart in the Country, the crowd knew the words, were singing the words to the chorus. That is a surreal experience. Mm -hmm. When I was like, and it was actually a lady held up a, a, a cardboard thing, said, Keep Your Heart in the Country. I'm like, wow, wow. It, that song resonated enough to them that they actually memorized the lyrics to it yeah and you know people will say oh god yeah we was riding around the back roads last night listening to keep your heart in the country and and i'm like that that is such a unique feeling that i sure. wrote that and people are singing it you know? yeah yeah i'm sure it's a blessing yeah he, he's just not quite at that level yet so but uh, I'll have to share with you some of his stuff, too, because I'd like to get your opinion oh, on it. Oh, I love original music. Yeah. yeah. He, it's different. He's not really country. He's more, um, again, do you know Alan Stone? Do you know yes. the artist? Mm -hmm. Okay, he's like an Alan. It's an Alan Stone style sound okay. that he has. But uh, anyway, so I know you got the album out. Are you doing any performances right now? Or is there anywhere oh. people can go? Or tell people where they can go find you. I heard you said Instagram. Uh, well, I, I think that music, that album's available anywhere. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, if they want to find info on you specifically, where's the best place to go? Facebook, Instagram? My Facebook, yeah. yeah that's how I am, Facebook. Yeah. My Facebook, Instagram, uh, Anthony Manus. Mm -hmm. So just shoot me a friend request. What you got coming up? Uh, more fights? More? Yeah, well, like I said, I got the UFC September the 17th and October 1st. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's in the immediate future. Yeah. Uh, there's a Hub City... MMA, mm -hmm. uh, that's in Jackson, Tennessee at Hub City Brewery. That's coming up. Uh, we just did Attitude this weekend at, uh, in Memphis. That's where Quentin. Yeah, I saw was that there. he did a showing on that. Yeah, so yeah, it's keeping me busy. 
Good. It, does it seem to you? Because I'm still, I'm still p- sort of part of the world. Like I don't even have a fight team anymore. I got one student right now that wants to fight, and I send him some. I still train him in traditional martial arts, but for the fighting, I send him to somebody else to prep for a fight. Honestly, because I just don't have the time it right. takes to commit to prepare someone for that anymore, and I don't want to be responsible if they go in there and get whipped. So I've sort of let all of that dissipate. I'm only at my martial arts school once, maybe twice a week. I have people that run it there now. And I have so many other businesses, I just don't have the time. But I still miss and love that world and feel uh, feel allied with it. So I follow some of the local stuff. I follow the fights. I like to still watch UFCs. Uh, but I was going to ask, what do you feel like um, – is it still as popular as ever, more popular? What do you think? Oh, it's more popular. Yeah. It's one of the fastest-growing spectator sports yeah. in the world. Yeah, I agree. It's so different. I remember when me and you were doing that with the HOFC stuff. Back then, I was struggling to find anybody that knew any grappling. You right, know? yeah. And now everybody does. You know, everybody. Well, they may not actually know it, but they. it's kind of like back when they knew at least what karate was. Now they at least know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is. Oh, gosh, you know? yeah. It, it – the – the sport has evolved so much, you know, I, I, there's questions I get asked all the time and I always politely answer them. They go, could you compete at, oh, absolutely not. No, yeah. No, no, there's no way. Uh, these guys, you they're, could, they're you so could much have, better You than, could have if you trained for those ranges like they do and with, you know, they're more intelligent now with the way they train than even back 15, 20 years ago. So I think that every I th- I really believe this, Anthony. I think that anybody like me or you, if we were had the same opportunities that some of these people have now in training, and we were at our our youthful peak, um, we could be as as competitive. Because I think that the determination and drive you learn in traditional martial arts transitions to many many disciplines. I've used it as a lawyer. I mean, oh, one absolutely. of the reasons I've been successful here is because of what I learned as a martial artist. So I think that you I don't don't sell yourself short. I know you're very talented, and I think you'd have done great uh, if if you had MMA had peaked around when you were doing your your heyday. Well, you know, one of the greatest compliments ever given to me was when I was asked that question, and I answered it just like I did. No, I couldn't compete. Corey Schaefer, the president of the ISK, said, "You're absolutely right. You can't." But they need to remember that they're able to see so far because they stand on the shoulders of a giant. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's probably the coolest thing ever said to me. Yeah. Uh, even though Corey recognized, no, at your your skill level, it says you could not compete with today's fighters because you and I didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school in every little small town. You know, what mm-hmm. we we just basically had to figure it out on ourselves. Yeah, there's you know? a lot of it I had to figure out. Yeah, and <clears throat> today the opportunity for these fighters, it's there. Yeah. You just have to have the discipline and the desire to capitalize on what you got. Yeah. You and I used what we got, you know, sure. what we was what was presented to us, but it's they have a lot more opportunity now. Yeah, yeah. Well... Anthony, I, I've enjoyed knowing you for all these years. I really have appreciated the support that you've had of the HOFC, MMA in general. I think you're definitely a pioneer, and uh, you know I'm glad to see you still doing well with it. If you get openings, I'm happy to judge. Okay. Just holler. Yeah, yeah. If you remember, I was telling Josh back in the day when we did the fights to save money, 
I was the announcer. I would corner. Sometimes I was judging. I was the referee. You, yes, you remember yes. I was trying to do all the positions. Uh, I so, think uh, the, the guy that holds the record for that is a fighter in uh, the Knoxville area called Nate Jolly. That's uh -huh. his name. Nate uh, set up the cage. Yeah. He sold tickets. He refereed. He cornered some fighters, and he fought in the main event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got me whooped then. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a super great guy and a, was a really good fighter. Yeah. But it, Were it, you at the one where, where we had Bill Dundee come wrestle? Were you at that? That was one of the very early ones we had. No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I'll tell you about that at some other time. But, yeah, we had – I was having trouble filling the cards in the beginning because mm -hmm. they just didn't have fighters. Yeah. like we were just talking yeah. about. They're just – you know, we would, and then we would split the fights. We would do kickboxing matches, shoot fighting or complete combat, and grappling matches. And I even had taekwondo matches. I don't know if you remember, but I'd have them in there point sparring because I was trying to fill the card. And there were some nights we would have guys do two or three types of matches, the same guy, and move them around with different folks to try yeah. to make a full card. Yeah. So anyway, I had the idea to start to throw pro wrestling in there too in the beginning, and that was interesting experience. So, but uh, but yeah, so we done a lot, a lot of a lot of cool stuff, uh, a lot of good memories of all that time. Oh fun. yeah, so we had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I, I wish you the best of luck with the music and everything yeah. too. I got a restaurant now. I'd love to have you come try it out, whether oh, you're singing would. or not. You can come yeah. see what you think. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Anthony, and thank you guys for watching us today. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe to our content, and make sure you follow Anthony. It's Anthony Manus, M-A-N-E-S-S, -S, across social media. Of course, we're on all stuff, podcast platforms, TikTok, et cetera. We got our 100th episode coming up on October something. 11th. 11th, October 11th. There it is. On October 11th, hopefully you guys will join us for that. And, of course, Michelle Allen's uh, the go-to realtor in uh, this area in West Tennessee. She's glad to help you with anything buy, sell, rent, lease, all that stuff. And just like we were talking about, if you want to start your own black belt journey, we're glad to help you at Mason's High Octane Martial Arts. We've been open since 93. Uh, be glad to help you uh, go down that road uh, yourself. And then, of course, the Cellar Restaurant Prohibition Bar. I'm one of the owners, and uh, we have a lot of great, exciting stuff coming on. Music on Friday nights, comedy this coming Saturday, trivia tonight. We'll see you guys there. And, of course, Masonite Marketing, we'll be glad to help you with your branding, online presence, all that kind of stuff if you need any help. Um, and then, of course, don't forget you can join us every Tuesday live for this Law Talk. And then, of course, there's playbacks across YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff. If you miss it live, you can watch the playbacks. Who's next week, Josh? Uh, next week we're doing that pre-recorded episode we did with William Russell after the Comic-Con. Oh, yeah. the yeah. Uh, That was cool, though, because I'm a big comic book nerd, and uh, it was fun talking to him. So yeah, you guys so. can look forward to that next week. All right. Well, thanks for watching. I hope you have a good rest of your day, good week. Keep kicking. Thanks for watching, guys. Just remember that this is not legal advice or investment advice or business advice. This is for fun and entertainment purposes only.